Recording live from the Hoban Law Group here in Denver, Colorado, I'm your host, Eric Singular. We're sitting alongside president and founder of the Hoban Law Group, Bob Hoban. Today we're talking about client COVID concerns, and we are joined by senior associate at Macro Solicitors, Ricardo Giada. Ricardo, thank you for being here with us. Well, thank you for, for inviting me uh, on this uh, podcast. And we're talking to you today from uh, from London. Tell us how you're holding up in the wake of this pandemic. Yeah, well, uh, we're nine weeks into the lockdown, although it's starting to uh, slow uh, down in respect of there's going to be a, there's starting to be measures for relaxation of the lockdown. But I think it's it scared everybody uh, globally, um, you know, on a health issue, obviously, uh, first of all. Uh, but it's um, it's affected businesses, some in a positive way because it's created innovation, um, like podcasts like we're having now and webinars and virtual uh, expos. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's been a it's been a learning curve for for most. Uh, but yes, as I said, we're we're moving out of lockdown very slowly, um, and there's going to be a new a new normal. I suspect once we all start going back to some sort of reality, what that's what going if, to look like, who knows? <laughs> that's what I was just going to say. What will it look like? But let's dig into the uh, the concerns that your clients have raised to you, the, the positive and the negative here in the last two months. What are you seeing, uh, maybe particularly in the UK, uh, with clients of yours as it relates to you know how their businesses are being impacted by COVID? Yeah, I, I mean, let me just give background for, for some of your your listeners. Um, obviously, Mackerel Solicitors is a UK, uh, London-based law firm, and we started a, a, a designated cannabis department circa two years ago. Um, and we are a designated department, unlike some of the big um, law firms in the UK that uh, they seem to, to say they've got 70 lawyers that deal with cannabis. I suspect they're extensions of other departments. So, you know, we, we've got a, a designated team of uh, four uh, individuals uh, in the department, um, and uh, so and we've been helping clients on a variety of different matters in the cannabis space, from uh, CBD products um, through to, to cultivation licenses and labeling reviews and so on and so forth. So, um, sector-specific um, uh, legal offering here. Um, going back to your uh, an initial question. So obviously we went into lockdown circa the 23rd of March and obviously we didn't know how that was going to affect our clients' business. So obviously I had ongoing clients, had just finished a, a, a piece of regulatory advice for one client for nine countries um, in Europe um, and that was to help them map out which countries in Europe they wanted to expand their, their offering. Uh, with their product line. So when we went into lockdown, it was uncertain um, as to how that was going to affect. Obviously, we carried on, didn't close the shutters and carried on doing work. And actually, what we started to see with those existing client base, those ones that were probably a bit more well-established and had been around for for well over 12 months and you know had good resources, um, what we started to see is actually that, it, that their services started to flourish. Uh, they started to have spikes in sales, uh, which was a good thing 
Um, it also meant that because they're seeing spikes and because they had larger stock levels, they started looking at other markets within the cannabis space. So for argument's sake, let's say for they were in cosmetic uh, creams or, uh, or, or other cosmetic uh, sprays or, or pillow sprays or wh- whatever the case may be that they were involved in, that they were starting to look at other products such as maybe vaping or because they could see that they could expand very quickly in that space because they already had the know-how, they already had the resources. Uh, so, that on, And speaking to other clients um, who were acting for, uh, the same sort of um, feedback that they were seeing spikes. And one of the obvious reasons for that is everybody's at home like I am now, um, uh, and we're all working from home and we can't go out shopping and people are stocking up. So uh, there's that element uh, that's happening. Whether or not that that's going to continue, depending on supply levels and what the effects are going to be in the, in the coming 12 months, who knows, really? Um, and that goes back to the plant itself, uh, whether there's, there's been any delays on seeds or uh, sowing of seeds, um, and so on and so forth. But currently, those existing clients base that had an established business, it's been positive uh, feedback. We've also seen, uh, still on a positive theme, uh, uh, new interest from new clients, uh, and we've onboarded during this lockdown period, new clients uh, looking to enter the space. And, and what's that profile look like in terms of the the new clients? Is it? Is it are they? Yeah, yeah go on, sorry. Uh, no, to to your point, you know, you talk about entry into the industry. Yeah, the industry means different things to different people in different regions of yeah. the world. What, what are they calling about? Are they calling about hemp products, medical marijuana? Well, uh, what it's is not, it? It's that, well, well, specifically, not I, the, the ones that are we're we're seeing those new clients that are coming on board. They haven't, I've not been approached yet about uh, medical products. They've all been uh, industrial hemp CBD products. Um, What I have noticed during this lockdown period, I'm not getting the speculators calling me. There are individuals that either have already been plotting or planning or forward thinking and are going to invest. uh, in, into the industry and have already started looking at suppliers if they're buying uh, uh, isolate and they're going to introduce that isolate into products or they're, they're looking to actually in the UK, because as mentioned, we, we also help on cultivation licenses. They're starting to look at cultivation licenses and are looking to acquire uh, land and start planning um, that process. So what I've noticed dealing with that question is that the, you're not getting that speculator. And I suspect that that's, I mean, I've been a lawyer for an excess of 13 years, and I saw the last recession. Um, the, what you get in recessions or, or, or areas of uncertainty is the speculators disappear. And the only people that are left are serious individuals or businesses that either want to invest um, or want to merge or want to progress, and they're, they're looking at the long term rather than the short term. So uh, that's what I'm seeing at the moment. But I was already starting to see that prior to COVID-19. So there was, back in February, we there was a um, hemp and CBD uh, expo in Birmingham, 
which we participated in. And the footfall, uh, according to, to, to the event organizers, was slightly less than the previous uh, expos that were held. However, what we noticed is that the, there were more serious discussions. And actually, some of those serious discussions turned into clients and work and so on and so forth. So you're starting to see that more. That's, a, that's the, the experience that I'm having, obviously. Uh, I can't talk about everybody's experiences, but, but, but those are, the, the, those are my, my experiences so far from telephone conversations, Zoom calls, uh, and, and onboarding clients and, and actually physically doing work. You're not getting those speculators saying, oh, I'm looking to do this, I'm not sure. You know, can you introduce someone? It's more, I've already done my homework. Um, I've been looking at this for some time, and I've actually found... This is where I want to go. A, a more advanced to. form of potential client uh, is, yeah. is, is true. A business but, person. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, a, a lot of people, too, don't understand that the U.K. is uh, top two, if not the leading supplier of CBD products in all of, uh, of Europe, or at least that region. Uh, mm. And there is, a, uh, there is a momentum that's happening as we've seen Great Britain exit from the European Union, um, you know, politics and policy aside, it has seemingly created an opportunity for the UK to be a leader. And it's, uh, for, for our listeners, it's FDA equivalent has issued rules that are somewhat forward uh, thinking, somewhat forward leaning and sort of helping both drive the novel foods discussion at the European Union level overall, mm -hmm. but also creating a, uh, a, a leadership position for the UK. It's the first country to really advance uh, CBD related or non-psychoactive cannabinoid regulations um, particularly in the European Union, which is in a lot of circles seen as the holy grail for product, uh, products of this sort being distributed. Um, uh, what are, what's your take on that? What's your take on well, uh, the, the UK's position in that regard? Well, UK, I mean, touching base, <laughs> touching very slowly and slightly on, on, the, on the political sphere, but, but being still dealt with, even though that we've left the EU, you know, Brexit has happened. We're still going through what's called a transitional period. And that transitional period is due to expire um, this December. Whether or not that still happens because of COVID-19, who knows? I suspect it will, but, you know, there have been speculators it, regarding that. But putting politics to one side, you know, there are EU regulations in respect of CBD, whether that's cultivation and um, industrial hemp, with regards to not, uh, you know, and there's the guidance there and regulations regarding 0.2% THC. But the UK has taken a slightly different element with the controlled drugs element, i.e. the THC, the psychoactive element uh, of the uh, CBD, um, the hemp plant. And, and we follow a one milligram rule. And that's where, you know, we get these myths and misconceptions in respect of laws because everybody... And this is going back to clients and clients that approach us. You know, they say, "Oh, I've already looked at Spain, let's say, for argument's sake, and I understand the laws on on THC." I said, "Well, yes, you may understand what the EU has set as a uh, as a law in respect of THC and the guidance, um, but Spain might follow that slightly more harshly or 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 less harshly as as the case may be. But in the UK, we don't really follow that. 
0.2% THC provision re relates to the cultivation of hemp. It, with regard to end product, we follow what's called the one milligram rule, and that's covered under the Misuse of Drugs Act. And there's still that misunderstanding. And yes, you're right. I mean, UK has always been seen, you know, as a as a legal trendsetter uh, and setting out what regulation should be. And you know, we, I, regulation is there. There still needs to be further regulation or further guidance. I think the UK is still learning. This is very fast-paced at the moment um, with CBD products. You've correctly pointed out there's novel foods. Um, the Food Standards Agency here back in February, just again before lockdown, made the statement that you know any product out there needed to have a validated um, novel foods um, application before the 31st of March 2021. Um, and so that scared... Uh, a lot of individuals, but then you've got then you've got the mixed and missed um, sort of understandings because you've got the European Food Standards Agency, where at the moment, if you were to make a novel foods application or validated application, that application would go to Europe at the moment because we're going through that transitional period, and no one really understands that art or you know, and we're as lawyers, we still don't understand what's going to happen after that transitional period, or what if you've got two applications in tandem, uh, very similar applications from different individuals or different companies or, um, or groups, and the decisions that come back are different because one has been dealt by Europe and one's still been dealt with by the UK. Um, which one's going to take precedent if they were filed at the, more or less at the same time? Who you know Are there going to be issues of, of regulations between two two nations, irrespective, or, you know, two, uh, two groups, EU and, and the UK. It's hard yet to tell what, what that's going to be. I think there's further guidance and regulation that's going to have to come out on, on that particular um, point. And there's always going to be the argument whether or not this is novel in any event. Uh, but <laughs> we haven't got hours today to discuss <laughs> that point. But, uh, you know, I think we've all, we've all heard the arguments for and against. Um, uh, and so I think there is still further guidance. But yes, I think I think definitely the UK can open a variety of doors, and we have definitely seen from across the pond a lot of interest. You know, I've got clients uh, based in the states that have their products because they want to see, and you know, set up their uh, HQ in the UK, and they're using the UK to enter Europe. Um, and, and one of those clients was just before COVID, as I said, that I did a nine country regulatory piece of uh, work for. I mean, at the Europe level, and again, I don't know this is coming from, and this is, again, coming from client discussions. I've never really looked at see why, but two countries in Europe that are looking interesting, which they call uh, emerging markets within Europe, are Portugal and, and Denmark. Uh, I don't know why those two countries that are, uh, are being looked at in that, that fashion. I suspect because of Portugal has a very similar drug rules and regulations to what Canada did many years back as well uh, with legalization of certain drugs. I suspect that's why Portugal is seen as a, a potential in Europe as an emerging market. But definitely people are still coming to the UK as a, a major spot to, to, to enter Europe in that fashion. So another thing about the UK that uh, we've been following uh, for a couple of years now was this notion that the London Stock Exchange 
would be in a position to either um, follow some of the splash that we've seen out of those Canadian public markets uh, mm. in terms of raising money and, uh, you know, creating a base in the European Union for that type of investment. We've also heard this, uh, similar things about the Frankfurt Exchange. Can you comment briefly on potential barriers uh, or likelihood that the London Exchange um, does fill that potential role going forward? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's not something that I've, on, on the London Stock Exchange, it's something that I've followed um, heavily on, with the clients that I've uh, got. I mean, the, the problem with comments such as those or feelings that people have are, you know, it's all speculative market uh, and, and how they bolster uh, um, the values of their companies. Um, I think we've seen that happen with Canadian uh, companies in the past where, you know, they've overvalued what, what, what the wealth of that company is. Uh, and, you know, have increased their uh, share prices as a result of that. I think at this moment in time, you're not going to see that. I think if we're not in a recession, we're about to enter one. And you don't see those sort of speculative um, things happen on, on the stock exchange. Where I, I think you, you're going to start seeing is, and I think where, where I, I think, and this is, this covers across both the UK, Europe, and um, in the States, and so on and so forth. I think where companies now need to, to realistically look at themselves, if they haven't been over a period of nine weeks uh, because they've been too busy, I think they've really got to look at themselves as, uh, and, and for investors as well, where is my company going to be at the end of this? Where does it look like that I'm going to be placed whether it's because am I still going to be continuing to sell whatever I'm selling or producing? Do I need to collaborate with someone? Do I need to do I need to collaborate with another company? Is that what's going to uh, make me survive this? I, I trying to look at what how the, the uh, stock exchanges are going to react on, on listed companies. It's hard to, to speculate. Um, it, it is hard to speculate, but but one thing is for certain: it, it does appear that this industry is sort of moving forward, and 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 the the, the European Union and the entire region there is a focal mm. point for so many suppliers. You know, yeah. when when we were talking uh, earlier today about preparing for uh, for this particular episode of our podcast, uh, someone said, "Well, who's your guest, and, and where are they from?" And I, I said, "Well, he's from he's from." from England. No, no, he's from Great Britain. He's from the United Kingdom. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've since studied the issue, and I think I know the answer. I think I know the answer. But just for purposes of our listeners, what the heck is the difference between Great Britain, the United Kingdom, and England? Well, well, well yeah, well, this is, is going to be even a further debate after Brexit, I tell you that, because I think <laughs> with the United Kingdom incorporating the, the Isles, Scotland, Wales, uh, Northern Ireland, and so on and so forth. I, I'm waiting to see politically if that's going to create even um, a division there. But you know, Britain is uh, doesn't include uh, 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 Scotland, Wales, um, uh, and, and so on. But the United Kingdom incorporates both the, uh, Britain, Scotland, Wales. Uh, and uh, Northern Ireland. So, uh, I mean, that's the that's the that's the separation there. 
um, there is still, uh, and, and I didn't realise we were going to go political on this, but there is there is still obviously uncertainty with you know with what happens after Brexit, I after that transitional period, because uh, Scotland have made their point clear uh, in respect of that. Um, Wales are uh, in a in a bit of flux. Uh, they have not, even though they, I think, from memory, and don't quote me on this because. Um, it's been some time now that Brexit has been in my mind, but I think Wales kind of voted to leave, but uh, since then they've decided that they wish they had stayed. So I think politically there could be a shift with the United Kingdom um, after this, but who knows? That hasn't been on the forefront of everybody's mind for the last nine weeks. It was only the sure. forefront of everybody's mind uh, not so long ago, but COVID. Was, <laughs> That's uh, right. Well, yeah. well, while we're on the topic of uh, perception, I, I want to touch on uh, a survey that Mackerel uh, recently commissioned. And uh, this was on the perception of cannabis in the UK. Now, I guess I'm wondering if this was in the, uh, you know, in Scotland and uh, Ireland as well, or just in Britain. Uh, yeah. Maybe you can shed some light on that just quickly. Yeah, definitely. So, so thanks for mentioning that. Yes. Yeah, so it was, um, it was a, a survey. We did, we, back in March, just before, uh, COVID uh, started really impacting our lives, around about the 13th of March, uh, we commissioned the YouGov survey. And I think everybody just, to, just to explain YouGov is a, a well known international internet based marketing research and data analytics firm, which specializes in, um, opinion polling through online methods, but we commissioned them to conduct a survey because there's been speculation of the perception of CBD. And it was for British adults, so uh, um, British adults, and, uh, and it was a representative group of 2,000 uh, uh, British adults. And, and the four questions that we posed was, question one, have you used any products containing CBD in the, in, in the last 12 months? And the answers to that were were quite surprising, in, to one extent, uh, in the sense that about 10% of those 2,000 British adults had uh, confirmed that they had used that uh, CBD product, and um, 4% couldn't recall uh, whether they had. Uh, I suspect that they could recall, but just didn't want to say, and 1% <laughs> preferred not to say. Uh, so, uh, so 15%, let's say, um, had admitted that they had either used it or couldn't remember if they'd used CBD products. Now, if you look at the British population, um, you're looking at circa 57 million people, give or take, um, uh, adults, that is. So you're looking at that. Um, if you were to extrapolate those figures, you're looking at a, a population of circa, oh, sorry, a, a consumer base of circa 5 to 8 million people that have, would potentially have or would use CBD products. Um, that's a big market in the UK. Um, and that's why, again, going back to what Bob was saying, this is why the UK is probably seen as a, as a good uh, place to, to set up business or, or to introduce your products into. Um, so that was one of the questions. So, again, um, you know, public understanding so far, still that CBD is still there's still uncertainty. I suspect because regu even though regulation is out there, um, more information, more education needs to be given, um, and I think that, that those figures will only increase and improve. 
uh, over time uh, as that education uh, is out there and as people start to understand the potential benefits of CBD and that stigma starts to, to move away from, you know, the, when we say cannabis or CBD, everybody thinks marijuana. Exactly. And, and, we're, not, and we're not discussing that. So that, that what, in, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, similar to Bob's point at the beginning of the conversation, how the heck do we even define this industry and uh, yeah. those terms that are used almost interchangeably? Um, yeah. And I think as people educate themselves and people and the, and not the educate themselves, but the right, um, you know, the regulating bodies uh, or, or authorities send out the right messages about these products. Um, and as we learn from that and the right studies start to come out, then I think everybody will be better informed and they can take an informed decision whether or not these are products that they wish to use, experiment, or so on and so forth. Absolutely. So that was an, that, yeah. So that was an interesting um, uh, result, uh, just to give an idea of what the potential consumer base would be. What The Certainly. second question that we asked uh, was regarding medicinal uh cannabis and, and the question that we asked there um oh you know to, to what extent people would support the following statement medical cannabis should be fully legalized in the uk for all medical use including general pain relief uh where a doctor feels it could benefit the patient now the results here for me personally they weren't surprising because there's been a lot of positive movement and campaigning regarding medicinal cannabis in the UK, um, and that's what you know. One of the main changes in our legislation was due to um, patient uh, campaigning for you know being able to get their hands on medicinal cannabis, and and the results here were seventy seven percent of that um, uh, representative group supported that uh, statement. Um, I mean, just for your listeners, I don't know if, if many of you will know. I'm sure Bob knows that before our, our laws changed here about uh, doctors being able, you know, pr uh, prescribe medicinal cannabis, uh, uh, patients were traveling to the likes of Holland and, and trying to sm smuggle stuff in. And this was costing two, three thousand pounds um, a month for people that couldn't really afford that uh, because of their children or. A relative or friend or or so on and so forth so there, there have been positive changes so the, the results of this didn't surprise me and even recently just again everything is, is before COVID-19 it doesn't feel like anything else happened during this moment but just before COVID-19 the UK government had relaxed um, uh, import barriers um, which allowed UK companies to supply uh, medicinal cannabis to hold larger stock levels, which then allowed the arm uh, medical All practitioners right. here try to, try to be able to, be to get their hands on, on, on these drugs <laughs> a lot quicker. Because what was happening before is um, yeah. you would have patients I'll, that I'll would I'll go to the doctor to get prescribed their, their medicinal cannabis, and they'd go on a course of whatever uh, the doctor had prescribed them. Uh, to, to use this product over over a period of days, weeks, or dosages, or whatever the case may be, and what was happening is that after they would go back to the doctor and they would see that benefits of whatever that prescription drug uh, was for, um, the doctor wouldn't be able to get their, their hands on the same product again. They'd have to go to a different supplier because the stock levels weren't there. So that was well, so. Uh, 
So again, I haven't. I, I think the result of that was positive, uh, but there's obviously already been enough. Uh, there's already been a positive movement uh, here, but obviously these can improve. There still needs oh, to be a absolutely. lot of absolutely education to doctors. And we are, we and our uh, our listeners are just, uh, you know, extremely interested in the changing perceptions across the pond and the opportunities that abound uh, in the European market. And, and Ricardo, we'll certainly have certainly have to have you on again because uh, you just have so much to share and so much knowledge about what is going on uh, in uh, in Britain. Let's call it. Uh, but we appreciate your time today. We look forward to bringing you on again. And thank you for being a guest on the Hope no, Minute. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll hope to see you in person sometime soon. No, definitely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, look forward to meeting you guys uh, once uh, COVID-19 has passed and we're all able to travel. Likewise. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hoban Minute. Do you have any ideas for episode topics or guests? We would like to hear from you. Reach out to us at media at hoban.law and stay tuned for more on the Hoban Minute.